Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It was about three months ago. A, a lady in her early fifties had a um, failed bilateral lung transplant and at the Alfred and ended up on our ward at Sunshine. And when she heard about the massage, she said, oh, yes, yes, please, please. And when I went, we did a survey before and after. And when I went in, I, one of the questions is, how do you feel? And she said, I feel dirty, closed in and restricted because she's been in hospital for two months straight. Yeah. And after the massage, when I went back to do the um, survey, she had the question, how do you feel? And she said, I feel like I'm on a cloud. And I, th- I think it was about three weeks later. She continued to have a few more massages and about three weeks later she died. That's the voice of my friend Jenny, who's spent her entire career working with dying people. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life. And today, we're talking about death, the guts and the glory of death, I guess. We're talking about it as in, like, the moment of death and the moments leading up to it and the realities around it. There will be some pretty graphic and potentially disturbing content, but with that said, I would urge you to come along with us because avoiding death doesn't make it go away. You know that. I'm a student of Buddhism, which has a big focus on death, and that led me to become a volunteer for Mercy Palliative Care. They send me and other volunteers out around the western suburbs of Melbourne to visit with people who are nearing the end of their lives. And as I'm sure you can imagine, it's changed my outlook significantly. And like on a daily basis, the way I live my life has changed. And I think it's definitely for the better. For one thing, it's put me in contact with people like Jenny. I'll let her tell you her official title. It's a bit of a mouthful. So at the moment, I'm the advanced care planning nurse consultant for because uh, I'm on a secondment. Mm-hmm. But I'm my usual when I go back to my other job. It, it's the well care manager, nurse manager. So, um, so I coordinate the well care program. Um, and have you got a website? It's like wellcare.com. Yeah, well, yes, you, you go to the Western Health website and look up the well care program. Mm-hmm. We've got our own little page there. And we run for two days a week and it, we're able to take up to 10 patients because we have a limited space. Um, but it's a when you walk into our room, you don't 
um, think you're in a hospital. It's a very homely environment. We were mm-hmm. lucky enough to be refurbished last year. So we've got um, a brand new little kitchen there and it's a beautiful big table that everyone sits around and we we just talk about we have um, we go through the paper every morning and we talk about current affairs and we have specific activities set up for them and um, we have morning tea and lunch and we've got a beautiful garden that um, the volunteers, one in particular, her and her husband have, when I when I started working there it was weeds and now mm. it's like a beautiful little oasis in the middle of the hospital. That stuff means and, a lot um, too, doesn't yeah, it? When so you we really often sort of go out there when the weather permits, we have lunch there and, or they can just go out and we had a, a man a few months ago who was an avid gardener so he was always out there doing his thing and um, so, yeah, that's our our space and we – it's not, you know, people often, th- we used to be called the day hospice and we've, we're now called the well care program to have that focus on well-being yes. because there was there still are negative connotations around the word hospice and people think they're coming there because they're dying or they're at the end and they don't, you know, well, I'm not ready for that yet. And um, I have always been a big promoter for early referral to palliative care. If you're referred to palliative care, it doesn't mean you're going to die tomorrow, it means that you can get extra support yeah. for you and your family yeah. because while those patients are there at the well care program, their carers are getting some time off Yeah, and that's a huge benefit because carer burden is a big problem. I've always been drawn to that. I mean, it's, I've been nursing for 20 years this year and um, I've always been in oncology or palliative care, a little bit of time in bone marrow transplant, but... It's, I've always been drawn to yeah, to be able to help someone at the end of their life. It's To me, it's very important. I mean, we're all going to die. We're, it's a fact. I know, no one likes to talk about it, but it, it's the truth. And it can be done very well or it can be done very badly. And when it's done very badly, it's not just that person. It's affecting a whole their whole family, the whole it's a whole community, and the family could be a mum, a dad, a brother, a husband, a dog, a cat. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's whoever the family is, and it's a huge it's a huge thing to be able to do that well, to have a a nice death, and to be able to comfort that person and their family. And I to me that's it's important because it's going to happen to all of us. So what's a, what's a nice death? To me, a nice death is that um, someone is comfortable. Some people don't want to talk about what they want. Mm-hmm. Most people do. Um, and it's, I've never, in 20 years of end of life nursing, I've never seen anyone on their deathbed talking about money or <sighs> how much money. It's always about relationships and experiences. And to me, that to be able to, um, leading up to someone's death, if you if I can go in to talk about someone's an important event in someone's life with them, and then or, and often say, oh, you know, would you like a massage tomorrow? Which is what this has happened a few months ago. This man, he was forty two, and he was really closed in, really um, not coping well with coming to the end of his life, but he, 
um, said he'd like to try the massage. And afterwards he said, um, he said, to be honest, I was really sceptical, but I haven't felt this good in months. And he said, and he spoke to me, the nurses said he was very closed in, didn't like to talk. He spoke to me about um, a personal experience that he'd had in his life that meant a lot to him and how much he enjoyed the massage and he died the week later. So to me, that was a good death. Like he, he, he was able to um, maybe let go of some things he wanted to talk about with me and then he had that massage and and he died comfortably. Like he was comfortable, He yeah, and he didn't have a lot of um, family or friends around but he, whoever he wanted there, um, they were there at the end. So to me that is like a good death. I have to ask then, what's a bad death? Mm-hmm. I mean... There's... A lot, when, you know, we, I said before about people don't like to talk about death, mm-hmm. there are often families that, um, and for, you know, there's many, especially in the West, we deal with many cultural, different cultural backgrounds and each have their philosophy, philosophies around death and dying. And there's often um, people that don't, you know, that might be their elderly mother dying, but they they don't want them to know, they the family don't want the patient to know what's happening or that and that's very difficult because often the patient knows Mm. you know that they know what why they're there and what's going on and it's it's often difficult to um to meet the needs of the patient and the family in that situation and sometimes um, things don't go so well. You know, there might be miscommunications or there might be um, family conflicts that, you know, one person wants to say something and one doesn't and that can cause a lot of yeah. angst, especially like in the room at the time while the patient's dying and that can be difficult to deal with. I never thought about that actually. And We do talk a lot about... Um, saying things before people die and making sure things aren't left unsaid. But I suppose if, certainly if the dying person actually doesn't want to have that conversation, that's it's tricky for caregivers to juggle. Mm. Yes. Mm. Um, do people generally come to terms with their death when they're dying for a period of time and they know it's coming? Do they generally come to terms with it by the end? In your experience? In my experience, m- most most do, but there's often those that they're just not ready to die. There's been a few cases where, and this is probably the most confronting for me, is when they're my age yeah. and got kids my age. Yeah. That's very difficult. And often, you know, they've got, they don't want they don't want to die. They, they've got things they still want to do and sometimes people just can't accept that it's happening and, um, you know, when we're, when we're nursing a patient at the end of their life, we are really nursing the whole family because yeah. there are a lot of often you know, difficult situations where the wife may not be ready for the husband. He, he might be ready but she's not and, yeah. I've seen situations where the family is not ready for the person to go and and where they all, almost get upset at the person giving up mm. in mm. the end there. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, 
definitely, yes. Because particularly towards the very end, your job is to keep the person comfortable in inverted commas, right, which which generally means medication, mm-hmm. um, which is really intense pain relief, but also psychological relief yes. and to keep them relaxed. And I've observed families sort of being upset about suddenly seeing that relative who's been a big fighter sort of relax. Mm. Do you find that? Yes. Yeah, no, that that does happen often and um, it, can, it can be difficult to deal with. And like once again, we, you know, we'll, we've got services that we can bring in to help them come to terms with the situation. But often it's just being there or crying with them. I don't know how many times I've cried with a family member or just hugged them or, you know, there's sometimes there's no words or there's not, there's nothing. It's just being there. And, but yeah, there, there are those times where they're not ready and they, they're, yeah, they're angry. Mm. Angry at their loved one for giving up the fight as, as it's sort of, it seems to them. Yeah. I know a lot of people will say, and certainly if they, they've never thought about it before, if they think about it now, they'll probably say that it's not death that scares them as much as that period just before death, scared of being in yes. pain, yep. scared of embarrassing themselves, mm. scared of losing their dignity. Could you explain to us the process of dying as you see it most often? I know there's no probably no two no, the same, there, but... There, no, there aren't. Um, and there can be, you know, two exact same disease, people with the exact same disease and they'll die very differently. They, right. It is. Everyone is... It's it's an in very individual process, but there are. Having said that, there are you know some people have um, restlessness. Yes, all those things can um, can go along with quite a lot of the diseases. Terminal restlessness, it's called. Mm. So at the end of life, they just they they want to get up, they want to do things, but they can't. So they're they're trying to move their legs. They're trying to um, move their yeah. Maybe just yeah to get out of the bed, just say, and so we'll medicate them to calm them down, and obviously that will sedate them mm-hmm. at times. Um, there are there might be someone who has breathlessness that mm. we um, can also medicate to control those symptoms, and th- these medications are to control the symptoms. That's what they're for. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this keeping comfortable process. Yes. Yeah. Um, when you nurses nurses will say um, the process of dying has started. You yes. know wh- when we know that this person is not going to rally. This isn't one of those downs followed by an up. The process has started. How do you know that? Yeah. Well, we with the ner- you can often tell by say maybe um, they they start to lose circulation in so they're hands and feet might start to go, um, we call it like a mottled colour, like a blue colour. Mm-hmm. Um, or they might um, start to lose consciousness, not be able to communicate um, verbally and they might. So it's difficult, I suppose it's probably a look that, um, and a colour that we, that we look for and um, their observations may change. In palliative care, we don't do a lot of, you know, 
um, they're not hooked up to monitors and so forth, but we, you know, we obviously do observations as needed and, um, you know, their heart rate may start to slow down. Um, their breathing, we look at their breathing, that will change towards the end, becomes more um, shallow, uh, often right towards the end of life. They will um, have periods of what we call apnea where they sort of stop breathing and you and then they'll they might may start again have a couple of breaths and then that can go on for a, a prolonged period but that that is the dying process so we know it won't be very long like it may you can never tell exactly how mm -hmm. long but it may you know that may death will be imminent if that's what the symptoms that we can see I've heard of this idea that sometimes people even at that stage of their lives either will wait for someone to get there or mm -hmm. would rather be alone when they die. Have, have you had that? And we'll in, wait for someone to go to the toilet or go and grab a coffee and we'll die then. In my 20 years of nursing, I would say 95% of the time they will wait till they're on their own, till the person that's with them wow. goes to get the coffee, just goes home for the first time in six days to have a shower at home. Like, yeah. you know, they can have one at the hospital. Yeah. Um, and that's when they die. Nine, yes. I reckon it's 95% of the time. Wow. I have to tell my friend Linda because she told me that when her dad was dying and it was taking a long time and she said to her mm. sister, let's just leave the room for a minute. And they did and he died. That's mm. amazing. Why do you think? Mm. Do you have a theory I about know, that? I, I wonder if it is that they, they do, maybe you do want to be alone. You don't want to... It's a very private Cause, moment, I yes. guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know the exact theory. There are the times where um, they may be waiting for someone, a, a special relative that's coming from overseas. That that often happens. That unfortunately, there's a cases where they don't make it. But there are mm. times where yeah, they'll okay, they they hear them or they see them and pass away soon after. Um, but yeah, it's mostly when. That important person in in the in their life or in the room leaves. That's mostly. Gosh. Yeah. So I really I don't know what the. But you know when you say that I think yeah actually I don't think I want anyone looking at me when I die. I don't think I want that. Mm. Mm. Do you ever think about the way you want to die? Do you, do you think about that you know, a lot? Do you think or even less because you're so across it? I don't know that. Um don't know that I think about it more. Me, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd think, you know, I'd like to, you know, it have that nice death surrounded yeah. by. I mean, you know, when no one knows, wants to pick a how or, mm. um, but yeah, maybe surrounded by family and and friends. That's what you know would be a nice way. I think. Mm. Hmm. Um, have you ever had anything spooky happen? No, oh, yes. Really? I felt embarrassed asking you, but okay. <laughs> okay. okay. It's funny. We were, I took my, my son loves Dynamo. I took him to see him the other night. and What is Dynamo? With Dynamo the Magician. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. And my family were picking on me because I was saying, oh, you know, he's just amazing. And they're saying, you know, it's not real. I said, well, it could be. <laughs> And I they, and I said, you know, I've seen things in in my nursing ah. career, and um, 
I ha- I have seen um uh we had a very he was a very spiritual man that I n- nursed and when he died I am certain that I saw something leave his body like it was like uh, I can liken it to steam I don't know people think I'm you know look at me like I'm strange but I do no, I'm <laughs> not at all I'm loving it <laughs> I experienced and I have um I've got friends that have experienced things at you know during certain deaths and there's yeah there's um there's, there's been a few different experiences over the years that um I I can't explain um does yeah. it affect has it affected your spirituality um I'm I'm Catholic. I've been um okay. been brought up Catholic, but there there are I I believe I've I'm very spiritual. Like I I believe in angels and mm-hmm. um I, I, there's been a few actually experiences of patients where they're right towards the end of life, and I and it seems that they are fixated like on something in the room and there's been a it's more happened more than once where i've gone in to um nurse them as in you know um i might be tending to their they sometimes they have a little syringe driver it's called that delivers the medication i might be doing that and it's happened twice where they they're not they're usually um the, these two i can remember they weren't they were bed bound and not didn't have a lot of strength at the time. But when I walked in, they were fixated on this one thing in the corner of the room, and they m- moved me out of the way, like move out of the way, like they were. They had to see what whatever yeah, it was they were looking yeah. at, or mm. whoever it was. Or... And there's often there's been a few times I've felt things in the room, like yeah, at, at right at um, as they've died. Mm. Um, yeah, so you know, I have um, experienced a few of these. I know you. We've we've discussed that people seem to prefer to die alone in that mm. moment, but I know th- what brought me to palliative care volunteering was that an American organisation called No One Dies Alone, and that was started by a pal care nurse who uh, had a patient who had no one, who had no family or friends, and mm-hmm. she was sort of it for him and he asked her to stay with him and she said she was busy, it was night shift. She said, oh, I've just got to go and do some other stuff, I'll be back. And by the time she got back, he had passed. Mm. Do, are there many people in Australia who who are dying alone, who don't have anyone there with them? Yeah, yeah. we've had a few on the ward when I nursed on the ward and I'd, I'm not sure of late, to be honest, but I know that when I was um, working, we had a few homeless people. Yeah, and um, yeah, one man in particular. He he's one of my favourite patients of all time. He I was getting married at the time, and he um, he was you know. A- Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He'd always ask me, what, you know, what's happening? What, what are the plans this week? And I'll never forget um, he, the day I got married, I got out of the car at the church and I looked up and he was standing there. He got a taxi to the no! church. Oh, my god! He was obviously still well enough to do that at the time. I love that. There must be other <laughs> great positive memories, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, there are. There's, a, there's heaps of positive memories. And that, to me, that's what's important is that um, we – as palliative care nurses are able to create a nice time for the family while, you know, the the person that's important to them has has died and to leave those memories with the person. That's that's what's important to me. And there are there are lots of, you know, even though it's a sad time, it's it, it's a time that we can be there for the family and you know there's often um I can remember several situations being in a room where the you know that might be 10 minutes away from dying and the family is sitting around telling stories about when remember that time when dad did this and laughing like you know it's not all it's not that's giving me chills. That's my. Yeah. That's how I want to die. That's yeah. amazing. Imagine yeah. dying in a so room full are, of laughter. Yeah, there are those situations. As wow. much as you know, I say that people die alone. There, of course, there are those situations where everyone's around the bed and laughing, and and you know, ten minutes later, they're devastated. Mm. The, their dad's died, but that's yeah. We you know we're there for them, and there's the wonderful services like. Mercy that offer the grief counselling afterwards, yeah. and that's very important as well. Um, but yeah, it's not all doom and gloom. Like look, standing around your your mum or dad's bed, look, look, watching them die. It's not. It's not always like that. Like, but given that we are all going to die, given that it's everywhere all the time, it is strange in our culture, isn't it, that we yes. don't talk about it? Yeah. That we talk about fighting disease like there's there could be a win at the end of it like fight or fighting uh, you know all of those old things and uh, all those things old age all of that stuff that we're always fighting and someone wrote the other day on Julia Watson's Facebook page I was telling about Julia before Mm. you know someone wrote oh I don't want us to talk about her losing her battle because she was never going to win it like I don't want her to be remembered as a loser in the end Mm. you know as having lost yeah you're right but it's that's we're often that's what we often hear, like yeah. on, you know, when someone dies on the news, or oh, they've lost their yeah. back. Oh, that's what, yeah. And so it's the natural process of of life, and yet, yeah, we don't look at it that way, do no. we? And there's so many different um, ways that can be looked at it, and people have started so many. There's the um, dying to know day that um, the Groundswell Project. Yeah, it's, what's that? Um, she's Kerry. 
from she's from New South Wales. She's if there's a website called mm-hmm. the Groundswell Project, you can look up and they they talk about um, they run a death cafe. But I think there are wow. There's, in, what there's some in, there? in Melbourne that you can go to. So you go and you talk about your death. Like you might go, wow. you know, yeah, go with your family and say, okay, this is this is what I want. This is how I want to die. Blah blah blah. Or wow. it's just to get get information about. Um, the dying process or about um, putting a will in place or the le- the le- yes. legal side of it. That's what I found when um, I went through the training program at Mercy. I thought, oh, this should be in high schools. And, yeah, she's done a lot of work with schools. Yeah. Um, and I think she ran a program in um, – it was in Sydney where the patient – she would introduce a terminal, terminally ill patient to, I think it was a – grade, uh, a year nine or 10 class at high school and they could ask any questions they wanted. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this, and it was sort of a a learning experience for the kids. Well, this Mm. is, you know, this is what happens with, um, with death and dying and talking about, and yeah, she, um, I think she took them to the funeral directors and they did a tour and did a, um, what happens with the body and yeah. So it's, I mean, yeah, it, it's it it should be talked about more. Because I find that having been around it now a little bit, it's demystified it and made it a lot less frightening for me. Mm. Yeah, and I think, yeah, that's probably the same for me as well. Well, it's, yeah, it is, it is going to happen. And I don't um, hold back in talking about death and dying with my kids. Right, I think yep. some people might say, oh, I'm, or look at me like, oh, you shouldn't say that, or you mm. shouldn't do that. But it's like, well, they need to learn. This is, you know, this is what's going to happen. And, I mean, not to scare them or, you know. Hi, I'm Mia Friedman, and I have no filter. Not in life, not in work, and especially not on my podcast. Every fortnight, I speak to some of the world's most interesting people about life, their career, and how they feel about things, what makes them tick. From Rosie Batty, I think of Luke. I'm consumed with thoughts of Luke. You know, I dream of Luke. I wake up thinking of Luke. Yeah. I'm thinking of Luke even when I don't realise I'm thinking yeah, of Luke. Yeah. To Terea Pitt. Well, the fire was only five seconds of my life. I don't want to let that five seconds tell me who I am and what I can do and what I, what I can't do in this world. It's the podcast where too much information is never enough. Subscribe to No Filter in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. does give yeah. you a different outlook. It's, it's changed my outlook on life, yeah. I think, in a really positive way to yes. accept that my life is a timeline that has an end and I'm mm. somewhere on that line right now and what else do I want to do with the rest of it and, you know, how, all of those things. What's really important? Yes, definitely. You know, how mm. does this really, how big an issue is this really on that timeline? Will it even show up as a blip on that timeline? Then why am I worrying about it now sort of thing? Mm. Let's talk a bit more about your programs, about your passions, um, and and what can we do to help? Can we do you take donations? Can we help in that way to get more people massages when they're in palliative care? Because you can tell us anecdotally that it makes a hell of a difference to people. Yes, definitely. And I, I did um, with the project. I did a whole lot of research as well. And it's not 
it is there's it's, so it's evidence, not just it's an evidence based practice yeah, that, right. you know it does make a difference and yeah. there are other centers of excellence around melbourne and australia that have um, massage and and other complementary therapies in place and they are making a difference so it's i'm wrapped that western health and now on the same level as these centres of excellence and that we can offer these extra care options for the people in the West. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, just even hearing you say you're wrapped, it's just something... I mean, when you meet people who love terminally ill people, hmm. not because they're your family, not because you even know them, but you just have a love for that group of people and they're not an easy group of people to love in a lot of ways. It's scary to love them. It's sad to love them. Mm. It's challenging in very basic ways. But you are just one of those weirdos. <laughs> really? <laughs> a <bit> weird. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny, that's just the way you talk. You light up in a way that other people light up when they talk about puppies <laughs> or kindergarten kids. <laughs> You know, it's amazing the love that you bring to terminally ill people is amazing. Mm. It's beautiful, actually. Thank you. It's really touching. Oh, I'm feeling a bit teary about it. It's so special. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you all, you, you've you told me this. You were always like this. You always wanted to specialise in this area. Yes. Mm. You're a weirdo, but you're a beautiful weirdo, <laughs> Jenny. I'm wiping tears away from my eyes. I so, would urge anyone who is has a person in their life or in their family who's reaching end of life to find, try and access some of these services because there yes. are services around and you're probably a person who's not, you know, I'm not that kind of person. We don't go to strangers and ask for help, you know. Mm. It's a family thing. But these strangers, it's so comforting to know that people like you, Jenny, have been working in this field for so long and, and you can help and support and give everyone a brighter day than they would have had without you, mm. you know. Yeah, and I think yeah, it does make a difference. Yeah. And there's always in um, any healthcare setting, there's always that the, the dilemma of where where along the disease trajectory do you, do we refer patients to palliative care? And the medical staff often struggle with yes. having these conversations. And it, you know, we're trying to change that. Because well, everyone's to, so focused on this fight. Yes, and. Palliative care means the fight is over. Yeah, and but it's it's all, it doesn't necessarily mean you know palliative like I just said it doesn't mean that it's it's imminently over. Like yes, it it will be eventually, mm. but you can have this these supports in place and and live your life until your death. Yeah. And that's what we're all about at the Well Care Program to live well until you die. And you know we don't sit around talking about gloom and doom and we do talk about death and dying if that's mm -hmm. what the patients want to or sometimes we run sessions like mm -hmm. information sessions so we might get a funeral director to come in and speak you know this is what happens this is what you can put in place um because it's you know that's what happens that some people want to know yeah but like people like me, it, some people want to know what they're facing mm. and it takes a lot of the fear out of it. But if they don't want to know, then they can go and sit and yes. read the paper. A lot of the patients that have come through the well care program, they they often look at the brochure or think, oh, no, that's not for me. And I'd say 80% of the time, especially the men that come, they all say, oh, I wish I came here earlier. I wish I, this is great. I've 
um, my the 95-year-old man that used to come, he came in my office one day and he said, oh, thanks, Jenny, I really love this service. He said, you know, I was just sitting at home waiting to die and this has given me a new lease on life. Like, you know, he that and just hearing that, that we, we can offer that, whether it's in their last month or their last year of life, it, it's, it means a lot. Yeah. You've got your puppy face on again. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Jenny Zarafa, and I really hope I've got someone like her by my side when I'm dying. I think about that stuff a lot these days, what I want to be wearing, who I want to be there, what I want playing on the radio or whatever the radios are by then. Anyway, Jenny mentioned the Groundswell Project during our chat and the events they run called Death Cafes. I don't know about you, but I found that pretty fascinating. So I've tracked down one of the founders, Kerry Noonan. Hello, Kerry speaking. Hey, Kerry. Michelle Laurie calling. How are you? Hello. Good, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for finding a few minutes today. That's all right. Um, it's cool that you're doing a blo- that you're doing a podcast um, on death and dying. I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How'd you guess? Yes, that is. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, Most people don't. I, I'm, you know, my my children are so curious about what I do. They're just like, so everyone just wants to talk to you about death all the time, <laughs> pretty much. Because it um, sounds like such a depressing life, doesn't it? That people would go, oh God, no one who would want to do that? Who would be uh, laughing about that? But we were just—I was just talking to my friend Jenny, who's um, a palliative care nurse, and she's a big fan of your work. And she said you have got to talk to Kerry about what they're doing at Groundswell and uh, and the death cafes she was telling me about. So, can you tell us a bit about the Groundswell project? Yeah, well, we've been around for almost seven years now, and we started really just with wanting to be more creative in the way that we have conversations about death and dying and help people to build their death literacy. So over those over those seven years, we've done all kinds of things from yeah, death cafes to arts projects in high schools. We run a national day called Dying to Know Day. We do workshops called 10 Things to Know Before You Go. Um, and, yeah, we've just really... Um, done many different things to try and find creative ways to have these conversations. You know, if you think of the whole of human history, we've cared for our dying and for our dead. And it's really only been the last couple of generations of human um, existence that we haven't done that, that we haven't been around our dying Mm. and we haven't been around our dead. And I think that's what we're missing. And I think that's why we're seeing such a massive explosion in people wanting to reconnect with this part of humanity, reconnect with this part of life. Because this is part of life, right? We might be called, we might be talking about dying, we might be talking about death, but, but really it's, it's part of our life. It bookends our, our life. It, it, gives life meaning. Um, what do you think is wrong with living your life without thinking about dying? There'd be a lot of people listening thinking, ugh, I do not want to think about that one bit until it is happening <laughs> to me. What's wrong with that? Sure. Well, I think they're thinking about it anyway. I think that's <laughs> the first thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, you, you know, even when you're not 
yeah, when you're not thinking about it, you're thinking about it because you're pushing it away. You're trying not to to think about it. That means you're thinking about it. And and I think that the pushing away bit, the the oh, I, I I'll just um, avoid that is actually it's just good old fashioned anxiety. Um, it just create you know it's just a fearful response and anxiety response and um, and so you can't really you can't really push it away. It's part of our it's part of our existence as human beings. Um, and there's very 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 few people and I, as a psychologist, you know there there are very few people who actually um, have uh, such an intense fear of of, of the topic of death, that they can't go there, that mm. they can't go there at all. So this idea that we're in denial um, or whatever is, is actually um, not a very helpful way of thinking about, about it. Has our, our health industry taken death away from, from our suburbs and from our homes? Well, y- yes, yes, um, it has. I, I think that's one of, the, one of the double-edged swords of getting better care for the dying with palliative care. Palliative care has enabled us to have better symptom management and pain management and all of those things. And that's been really cool and really helpful. And and the modern hospice movement really um, enabled us to connect back with um, dying because most of us die in hospitals. So we actually need to change the way that we die in hospitals. But um, but what it's also done is, is yes, it's kind of... Um, outsourced in some ways we've outsourced everything we've outsourced our dying we've outsourced um our death because we have dying professionals now and we have death professionals so mm-hmm. all of those all the whole experience pretty much could be outsourced um so yeah it's a double-edged sword it's it's difficult i think that's why we're seeing death doulas and and other people kind of uh other um work happen, start to begin in the community. We're seeing holistic and family-based funeral directors who are actually working with people around these tender transition moments where where people are moving between curative care and end-of-life care and, and death and death care, that people are now actually helping families transition between those points. And it's, it, it's very... Um, it's really wonderful to see that change, actually. Wow. So a death doula, I'm guessing, from what I know about birth doulas, is that a person who sort of works with you um, through the process? Yeah, there's someone who, who is knowledgeable, has usually cared for someone who's dying, who knows a little, who, who often knows the public health laws mm. and, and um, a, as well, but also they know, uh, they work with you as a family to be able to do the things that you want to do um, around the time of the dying and the death. So if you want to stay at home, what are the things that you need to be able to do that? They help you kind of think about the full range of, of um, family family, community and, and professional support that you might need to do that. And then they also really enable you and allow you uh, the time and space to be able to prepare for death, prepare for, for the dying, the last part, but also the family vigil, which I think is something that we undervalue very much in our society. That is definitely coming back, yeah. the, the family vigil. Yeah. Um, before you go, can you please talk us through a death cafe? I mean, that's such a, an intriguing <laughs> title for something. I, my imagination goes wild as to what happens yeah. at that. <laughs> well, it's not. It's it's pretty normal. It's okay. not weird, but um, it's, there's often a lot of fun had at them. Hmm. They started in the started in the UK, and it's really a worldwide 
social movement around bringing death back into the community. It's one way of doing that. And people, anyone can say they're running a death cafe. You go to the death cafe website and you, you um, kind of read, you can read up on how to do it. But really it's about talking, it's a, providing a space for the community to come together to talk about death and dying, any any part of that. Oh, okay. um, and really um, do it over, you know, you have to have good cake. That's Snacks. the main yeah, rule. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and tea and coffee or whatever okay. beverage you may want. So, but now they're they're kind of expanding. Um, I heard someone the other day say they saying they were doing um, um, death and wine or dying and whining or something. <laughs> so, I think you know it's just going to start in Australia. You know, we could do death in the pub. There are all kinds of yeah. variations. But there's been over three thousand of them across the world, and and they were started by um, John Underwood, which is a great name yes. for someone who started the Death Cafe <laughs> movement. But, um, okay, so we can started. go to deathcafe.com and find That's out right. where they are, or in fact, if you want to put on a Death Cafe, you can uh, you Absolutely. can find out how to do it there. Gosh. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. And I've found your website and I am well and truly hooked on the Groundswell Project and Dying to Know Day, which is in August, is it? It is the 8th of August every year okay. and we invite people, every, everyone. It's really very much a community event. Last year there were 105 grassroots events across Australia from living rooms to local neighbourhood centres. Um, really, it's ordinary people uh, as much as health professionals and other people who are who run events and they do things that are local things that are important to their local community and uh, it, yeah it's a great way to kind of bring to life death literacy death literacy I love that term thank you so much Kerry yeah no worries nice to talk with you you too that was Kerry Noonan from the Groundswell Project and before that, Jenny Zarafa from Wellcare Hospice in Melbourne. You can Google them for more info if you would like to volunteer or donate or to see what it is they're up to. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Thank you very much. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Take care. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 